Pastor Terry Shock this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't we just give God a great, great, great hand clap? Can you do it? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I never, never take it for granted that uh, I do not consider myself a yearly speaker. I, I promise you that. It's always a privilege and honor to be asked to be able to speak. And the preaching has just been amazing. Uh, just so, so anointed. Uh, Pastor Tuesday night and then Sister Mangan told her, uh, you've never done better. She said, y'all say that every year. I said, because you do better every year. I mean, that's just, that's kind of how that goes. Last night, Calvin, uh, yesterday the forum, then Calvin last night, it was kind of like he just preached and let gas just ooze and ooze and ooze and then Brian Kinsey gets up and oozes a little more and strikes a match and uh, man I just love it I mean the way the way that it the way that God seems to move I thank I thank God thank God for it I give honor to my family obviously Melanie's amazing woman of God and I know that because I live with her and our two kids the reason why I say that is they have lived through both of their parents preparing for because of the times and that's that's a tough thing around our house and so very very happy with them and you know i was thinking this morning and uh i didn't tell her ahead of time because it would have just totally freaked her totally out but brian put that camera on my mother i've never introduced her to to because of the times there she is right there right there never have thank you for that Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I do not have a memory of not having a prayer warrior for a mother. And that, uh, obviously, can't put a price tag on that. I'm going to read a lengthy text today. You're not supposed to read text as lengthy as this one. But I tried to cut it down and couldn't, so I'll read fast. Uh, you Colorado people, don't check out on me when I start reading this. Because I preached uh, from this text and this title in Colorado. It's a different message. When I got through preaching at Colorado at camp meeting this past June or July, whenever it was, I was walking off the stage and the Lord spoke to me and said, that's what I want you to share with because of the times. And uh, boy, I love, I love months notice. That's nice. That, isn't that, it, I got a break. Got, got a break on that one. Uh, last night... Brother Stan, I was sharing that with him. He said, when I left because of the times last year, God spoke to me that I was going to speak what I spoke yesterday. And he, had, and he hadn't even been invited at that time. It's amazing how, <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess when you become an assistant general superintendent, you start telling God what to do. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess it just comes along with that. Matthew 21 through 15. Uh, that was interesting what you said, Pastor, about the prayer room, about this being my prayer room. Last night, I was, uh, I was, I don't know, I just had a different, I just had a different confidence about today's message. I don't, I don't know why, not, not getting used to it, not any of that, I'm not that stupid, but it was like there was just a confidence, and it came to me on the platform, it, and, it, and it was like God speaking to me, it's because everybody's going to hear you preach in your prayer room. It's called, it's called like the home court advantage, not because this is the pulpit that I preach from, but this is the room where I pray. I mean, it's just a privilege, big time. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm on the platform, uh, my mind will go to right there where, uh, where God has spoke to me one day, major, over there. And then a time I was walking around here and God told me to do something. And then I just laughed. I laughed. I wasn't no way I was going to do it. And, and, I, and I said something outlandish to God. And it was late, late, late one night. And I said something outlandish. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and 
then it was like God said, yes, you will. And I said this. I said, if, I said, God, I stood right there and said this. I said, God, if you want me to tell that person that, then you have them walk through that door. Cecil, raise your hand. That door. And I, I, that's what I said out loud. God, if you want me to tell that person, that's late at night on Saturday night. I was usually praying in my office. God told me to come out here. I said, that door. And so I went praying and took about two more laps and walked around here and so help me, God Almighty, that person walked through that door. Here we go. I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Matthew 21 through 15. Sorry, it's 15 verses. You know the story. Let me refresh it and we'll talk. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them to his vineyard. He went out about the third hour, about nine o'clock in the morning, saw others standing idle in the marketplace, said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, about noon, and the ninth hour, about three, and did likewise. About the eleventh hour... He went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they say unto him, Because no man hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that... They should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine I evil because I am good? I want to preach to you about the 11th hour church. The 11th hour church. Amen. Would you just lift your hands and ask God for anointing for me and revelation for you? Help us, Jesus. Help us. Help me. Help them. Help us all. We have to have you today. God, we have to have you today. We have to have the power of your spirit. We have to have your anointing. We have to have it today, God. We have to have it. 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 We have to have it today, God. We have to have it. We have to have it. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Yesterday was the voice to me, and today we focus on the voice through me. And the voice to me is one dimension, but the voice through me is quite another dimension. And we must be the conduit through which His Word flows and becomes actual strategic apostolic action. It's not enough just to hear it. We have to figure out a way to do it. And we've been called and chosen to lead in this day, and this is a very, very interesting day. Let me just quickly give a foundation for this when we consider the 11th hour. Uh, surely few, if any, would refute the fact, this statement, that we're in the 11th hour. I mean, surely we at least think that. I don't know if it's 1101 or 1159. I don't know where it is, but I do feel that we're in the 11th hour. And reading biblical prophecy today is like reading the news. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then it explains perilous. Here's, here's what will be going on. Men shall be lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy. We see all that. This is everywhere we look. Without natural affection, we've got all kinds of issues with uh, men, men, women, women, and, and all that jazz going on, and parents to children, children to parents, all that. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent fierce, despisers of those that are good. And the truth of the matter is, I just like to challenge you, keep doing good even though you're despised for it. 
Uh, that's kind of the climate that we're in right now. Uh, you're just going about trying to do good and people despise you. That's, that's the day we're in. Don't back off. Keep doing good. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season we'll reap. If we faint not, don't get tired of doing good. It says that there'll be traitors and heady and high-minded and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Can you say more? More. more. That's the key word. The key word is more. It's a day when it'll be hours in entertainment and hours in sports and hours in pleasure and hours in shopping. It's a pleasure-crazed world. People will sit in the freezing cold and, and they'll hunt for hours and they'll sit in the freezing cold in stadiums. Uh, they'll pray for ball games to go into overtime, but the preacher better not preach till 12.01 on Sunday. That's, that's the day. That's where we are. It's 2013. People just, they want overtime anywhere else but church. And then it's, you know, come on, come on, come on, preach, come on, shift, shift, shift. They start shifting at 11.50, 11.55, they're in full-blown mode, and, and 12 o'clock, don't be standing in the aisles. Because this is the day that we're in. They love pleasure more than they love God. It says they will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. It says, from such turn away. So this is a picture to me of 2013. I'm not going to eat a lot of the valuable time today trying to convince you that we're in the 11th hour. Because if you're not convinced of that, you may not even be reading the same Bible that I'm reading. And then we're going to the church. The church. So in the middle of all of this is placed the church. In, in the middle of all this world, this 2013, God is not surprised by 2013. And, and he's had an answer for every dispensation at every time. God's never caught off guard. So here we are as part of the answer for 2013. He puts the church. I'm speaking of the church, not a church. The church as in Matthew 16, 18, I say unto thee, uh, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, uh, upon this revelation of who I am. Who do men say that I am? Well, Peter says, some say this, and some say that. And it's like, well, that's, that's not the point. The point is, who do you say that I am? And so really, it doesn't really matter uh, who pastor says that he is today, or Sister Mangan says that he is, or Brother Tenney, that's great for them, but, but uh, God really wants to know who I say that he, that he is. And the truth of the matter is, until I get a personal revelation of him in my life, in my own life, then I'm not going to be able to be a part of a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. There are a lot of Jesus' name people have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost that are getting their brains beat out because they have experienced what they need to experience, but they do not have a personal revelation in their own life of who he is. Of who he is. And so he said, upon this church, upon this rock, upon what? Upon this revelation. Revelation of what? Revelation of who he is. Not who everybody else thinks he is, but who he saw that he was. Upon that revelation, he would build his church. And when it becomes revealed to us personally who he is, then, then hell's not big enough to stop us. It's based, based on revelation, it also talks about it would be a great church. Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Which what? He's purchased with his own blood. So this is why sometimes we refer to this church that will stand. It will stand. It'll never be defeated as the blood-bought church. It's purchased with his blood. That church operating by his directives, his word being the basis that kind of church is the most powerful entity on the earth today. I'm talking about a church that is defined by his word, spirit, revelation, and action. So I tell you today that there is a church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. There are a lot of churches that the gates of hell are going to totally prevail against. But there is a church. It's written in his word, so therefore it's forever settled. 
So my challenge is to you is get in the church, stay in the church, be the church, build the church. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church. There will be conflict, there will be casualty, but the safest place on earth is in the church. So we are in the church in a very interesting time. It's the 11th hour, but even in this hour, the kingdom of God, the spirit-led, blood-bought church is meant to increase. And for it to increase and us be a part of it, it's going to increase. It's just a matter of will I be a part of it. But if I'm going to be a part of a church that increases, then I will have to be very intent on God's ways. I will have to have the mind of Christ, and I will have to be mature. Now, that is the introduction of my message. There are two major challenges that I see of the 11th hour church. And when I speak of challenges, I feel that these two challenges are challenges that are causing a short circuit between what we hear, the voice to us, and then the word through us. I feel that we have a short circuit, and I think this explains what it is. Because hearing and doing speaks of us and them. I hear the Word of God because there are things God wants to talk to me about, and there are things in my life that, that there's direction He needs to give me. But He's not just talking to me just for my own good. He, he wants me to be a conduit. And so it's hearing the Word of God and doing. It's, it's the Word to me, and it's the Word through me. But there's a problem in that connection, and it can be me. So the first challenge of connecting uh, this, the hearing and the doing, is a challenge that I feel is the challenge of connecting people to the harvest. I feel like we have a major challenge with this. To be truthful with you, uh, I feel that in particular the United Pentecostal Church, I feel like that this has been our Achilles heel, and I feel like that at some point we're going to have to get bold enough to be able to deal with it and do something about it. Let's go back to Matthew 20 and start with, with uh, verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man as a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. We must always be searching for laborers because people are needed. And changing the uninvolved to involved must be a priority in our ministries, and what a challenge it really is. Verse 2, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny, he sent them into the vineyard, and he went out about the third hour, saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said unto them, go you to the vineyard, whatever's right I'll give you, and they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, did likewise. The reason why he kept going out was because he, you always have to be looking for laborers. It, it doesn't, you've always got to look for laborers. We, if you have enough laborers, then your vision is not big enough. You, if, if you've got all the help you need, then you've shut your vision down. So we're always looking for laborers. <clears throat> and about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle. The 11th hour, it wasn't enough. It, it, he never got to a point to where he just said, okay, it's late, it's over, let's call it. No. About the 11th hour, he went out, found others standing idle, said unto them, why are you standing here all the day idle? <clears throat> they said unto him, because no man hath hired us. And he said unto them, go in the vineyard, whatever is right, that shall you re receive. So the challenge of getting people involved in the vineyard is a great challenge. And it's a big challenge because involvement enhances growth. You know good and well that if you want people to really grow, they've got to get involved. You just don't grow in the stands. You, you've, you've got to get on the playing field to grow. And so we consider the story that there were people who wanted to work. They, they wanted to work. They were at the right place where people would get hired. However, they were unable to work until somebody invited them. 
I know that there are people that won't work. I know that, that people can watch work going on all around them, and it's like they're oblivious. It, it, was, it was amazing to me the other night. We, we were doing something on the platform, and Pastor and I, we, if we're around, we always pick up a chair or something at least. We get involved. and I mean, I was carrying, no, it was gifts. It was all those gifts we hauled out of here. That, that's what it was. And I mean, you know, we're, we're loaded down with gifts, asking people to, can you please move at least? I mean, just all through here, you know, at least. We, we, we don't want to mess up your social time at all. It's not like something needs to be done. But you don't have to help. At least get out of our way so we can. Hey, have you ever wanted to tell people that? Have you ever wanted to say, act one in whatever, lead, follow, or get your body out of the way? Have you ever, you ever wanted to do that one? I'm not talking about those people. I'm, I'm talking about... People that just needed an invitation. They were ready and they were willing and they were in place, but they just needed an invitation to get people involved. I mean, it's just, it's just major. Now, I know that there are levels of involvement that demand greater commitment, and that's basically where a lot of us are just blowing it totally. I mean, we are. If you want to stone me, stone me at... At sundown or whatever, Glenda Stock is, a, is a, an owner in our church. She owns the McDonald's, and I was able to hear her talk about her business at one, uh, at one time. We had a leadership forum, and she was a part of it. And it was just, man, she was amazing. I mean, she's, she's quite a leader. And so listening to her, I realized the next time I went through the, the line at McDonald's, I realized that if somebody had assistant manager on there that they had been through, I mean, McDonald's is serious about their training, folks, serious. I mean, if somebody wants to get to the top or whatever, there is a road for them to go. However willing they want to be, however much they want to put into it, they can grow at, at McDonald's. And so I know that if somebody's saying assistant manager, they've done a little more. Somebody's saying manager, they've done a little more, general manager, owner, whatever. Now, the church, I feel, has a much greater significance in light of eternity than McDonald's. I, I think that we do. I, Glenda would even agree with that. And there are levels to leadership and involvement. And we must not ignore or apologize for the levels of commitment for leadership in our churches. And every one of us probably have a different view of it. So I'm not here trying to talk you into our view of it. I'm just... I'm just trying to talk the church into, okay, deal with this. We, we got people that want to be involved. Deal with it. Deal with it. And so the Bible's very clear with dealing with it. It says if you want to be a bishop, blah, 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 blah. If you want to be a deacon, blah, 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 blah. If, if you know, don't live like a non-bishop and want to be a bishop. Don't live like a non-deacon and want to be a deacon. The Bible even talks about masters or teachers. You're going to be held to a, to a higher standard. Do, do you want to be a teacher? Then deal with the leadership lifestyle or level of living, not just outwardly, but inwardly. Deal with it. Deal with it. Everybody's not going to be a teacher. Everybody's not going to be a deacon. Everybody's not going to be... A bishop. The Bible even tells us to, to know those that labor among us. And I really think Greg Albritton, who pastors in Colorado, gave me the best insight I've ever had on it. He said that there are service ministries and there are impartation ministries. And you, you got to decide it. We're not going to stand up here and say, hey, at PLA, we think service, 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 or impartation, impartation, whatever. You've got to decide that. But we cannot continue to lock out people from being involved in the harvest, waiting, listen to me, waiting for them to go somewhere else to learn points 1 through 670 and then be parachuted back into our churches to be able to do something on some level. We're going to have to deal with this one. You're going to have to deal with this one. You say, well, we, we hold some pretty high standards. Well, good. Good. 
I think the world's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. I, I think the religious system of, of today has to be a stench in the nostrils of God. That's my opinion on it. So set it however you want to set it. But can anybody even start at your church? Can anybody even start? Hey, I'll, I'll even go a step further than that. Are they even welcome to walk in the door unless they're? We're going to grow. We're going to have revival. We're going to grow. We're going to take this city. We're not even taking our blocks. For God's sake, we're not even taking our blocks. And if God gave us a block full of people, a lot of us wouldn't even know what to do with them. I'm talking about the vineyard. So what is our plan to involve people in the purpose of God? We must get them involved. we got to get them involved now, no matter what mile marker they're at. I'm for mile markers. I'm all for mile markers, but for, for goodness sake, let's put some out. We, we don't have this answered around here. Ryan, Frank, my, we're spending hours trying to figure this stuff out. But I'm not going to wait until we have it all figured out for, for some of us to get up here and say, okay, here's the plan. We figured it all out here. Here's one, two, no, no. We, we got a couple worked out. We got a long, long way to go. But I can tell you this, we are not going to short circuit the harvest because we're at least not trying to work this stuff out. For sure. So we got to get them involved. We got to get them involved now. No matter what mile marker, some ideas, you know, prayer ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, partner up with local food banks. Man, I'm happy to say at POA that the, uh, the chairman of our local food bank is a member of POA, Richard Cecil, another board member is Tuck Bolton, and uh, that excites us very much. There's a, there's a great organization called CASA. Case-appointed special advocates. There's Habitat for Humanity. There's local organizations that do work with, with fatherless, like boys clubs and girls clubs. Well, we don't have to control every organization that our people are involved in. And so it would be very, very, very good for us to get people involved in the harvest. I mean, Matthew 25 is just a great chapter to, to make as a part of your life. And there are a lot of organizations in your city right now that are feeding the homeless, that, that, are, that are doing this. You don't have to, you, you, you know, come on, come on, let's, let's, get, let's get it out. Let's, let's get it out. That's a great way to get it out into the community. Matthew 28 through 9. So, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and likewise they received every man a penny. So, the first challenge that I see in connecting all this in the harvest is... Getting people involved in the harvest now. Like service number one, if they're interested. The second challenge that I see is the challenge of supposition. Simply stated, we suppose way too much. So we have a, we have a question. Why, why this payment arrangement? Why not the ones that had been there the longest bring them up first and get them out of the way? If you're going to give everybody the same thing, then why, you know, why upset anybody? Why not make everybody happy clappy? And so bring all the people in. If you're going to pay everybody the same thing anyway, why not bring them all in and whoever's been there the longest Give them their money first, get them out of the way, then that way they won't be mad and everybody will be happy. No, that's, that's not what the Lord did. Now, here's why I feel this is my own opinion. You see, immature motives must be exposed and dealt with in the 11th hour church. Must be. Our immaturity must be exposed. In the 11th hour church. There, there's a reason why that we don't put a 357 Magnum in the hands of a child. Because that's too much power and not enough maturity. And 
There's a reason why too many apostolics are only armed with pop guns. Our pop guns make noise, but they won't stop a thief. And so what has to happen in our life is this, that opportunity for greater growth comes after our motives have been exposed. And the owner made the pay difference very obvious. So I would give a word today to those of us who've been around for many years. Our motives and attitudes will be revealed. They, they will be revealed. Jesus wants to do more than save us. He wants to perfect us and complete us. And supposition stops completion. And many are not in the Word enough to defeat supposition. They suppose that the Bible says what it doesn't. They suppose Jesus thinks like them. They suppose that Jesus is fair instead of right. They suppose people will do for them what they can't or won't. So let me drop the plow a little deeper and let's consider supposition and people. I want to give a disclaimer here because I know that throughout this campus there's a lot of POA people that are going to hear what I'm about to say. And we do need each other and we do need to encourage and love one another. And I love compliments and I've received more than I deserve, but I'd better not depend or expect them. There are people in this church that would do anything for me. I'm telling you, there are people in this church that get up at 2 o'clock in the morning if I need whatever. I have, there are people in this church that ask me, what can I do? What can I do? So I'm telling you, I love the people in, in our church. Now, not, not everybody in our church would do that for me, but there are a lot of people that, that will, will do that for me. But we better deal with this people thing and the power that people have over us. Now, I'm not going to ignore what I've witnessed with my own two eyes because I've seen people give of themselves in pastoral ministry for many, many years and at a time of celebration for what they have given for all of those years, people that they gave themselves to for many, many years didn't even show up for one evening to honor them. I walked away from one of those one night and I told Melanie, note to self, we'd better not be doing any of this stuff just for people. I got a lot to say, man, my time's moving, but that, that needs to settle in. What you do, you better be doing as unto God. You better, you better be doing it for God we got to settle something in the deep recesses of our souls, and that is another human cannot give us what only God can give, even if it's our spouse or our pastor. I deeply appreciate every compliment, thank you card and gift card, and, 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 and I, I appreciate it, but I better never expect it. Brother Harper is our district secretary, and he's been so kind. Uh, he's a member of our church. Brother Cox is a member of our church. There are some people in our church that they, they give us a Christmas gift. They, uh, they give us a Christmas gift every year they have given us. But I had better not expect it next year. It's a devilish trap to suppose that our pay for faithfulness will be honor from people. a trap. We'd better mature to where our validity and self-worth is not based on what we receive from another human. If we depend on our social media accounts for our validity, how many follow us or how many retweet us or how many like what we say. I'll tell you what we better get concerned with. We better get concerned with the fact that if Jesus Christ had an iPhone, if he'd push like. That's, that's what we better get concerned with. What we better get concerned with, if, if what we put on there, if Jesus would push retweet. That's what we've got to get concerned with. I read things on Twitter from minister from on uh, Twitter from uh, from uh, ministers, and I, I wonder if they even value their. I wonder if they even remember that they're a minister. 
I mean, they obviously don't value their ministry, but I'm just wondering if they even remember they are one. I'm wondering if they even remember that they are supposed to be representing God. So we, we got to mature to where our validity is not, not based on any of that because we set ourselves up for failure if we need their appreciation or reciprocation. And when I suppose that they will reciprocate, I set myself up for hurt that can become bitterness because humans can't give what only God can give. And that's the minute that we allow another human to become our primary source of security or validity. At that moment, we've taken our life. We have willingly taken our life from solid ground and moved it to sinking sand. My 34 years of ministry experience has taught me that given the right set of circumstances, some people will turn on you. And we all need to remember the fact of how fast the words rang into Jesus' ear, Hosanna, to crucify him. One of the most obvious biblical examples is David and his men. While there's not much information available regarding their pursuit as a group, we still know they were under him and they were unified. And I think we could safely assume that he led them and cared for them. But when the loss hit them personally, they wanted to kill him. What, it, was, it wasn't enough at that point that he, that he had rallied them. It wasn't enough at that point that there had been many, many victories. It wasn't enough at that point that, that great things had been accomplished. No, now something happened and the circumstances turned. And so now they're dealing with loss in their family. And it didn't even matter to them that he had loss in his family too. And so at the time, they all had loss. They were all dealing with what they had lost in their family. But the men now wanted to kill David. But David had a key. David's key is in 1 Samuel 30 and 6. And if you don't have his key, you've got to develop it. You've got to find this key. You've got to develop this key in your life now. In 2013 and in the waters we're heading into, you've got to develop this. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You better learn to encourage yourself. You better learn. You you better learn to be able to get alone and encourage yourself. That's where our real encouragement comes from. It comes from God. I'm thankful for everybody that supports me. I'm very blessed to have some of the most wonderful people in the world around me. But I cannot suppose that a human can ever give me what only God can do. And there are people that are destroying even their marriage relationships because they are expecting a spouse to give them what only God can give them. I, I, know, I know that there will be lonely seasons. There will be seasons like 2 Timothy 4 when, when it's those no man stood with me. I understand that. Jesus understood that well in the ministry of the crucifixion. But then verse 11 says this, And when they that had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house. See, failed supposition usually gives way to murmuring. You suppose that something was going to go this way. You suppose that this was going to work out like this. You suppose it's that Achilles heel of supposition that, that, is, that is wreaking havoc on the 11th hour church. Because we're supposed it's going to be this way. And so then when it doesn't happen, then it gives way to murmuring. And murmuring always causes death. That's as clear in Scripture as Acts 2.38. And verse 12, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Now, in order to understand this, you you really got to get a spoiled brat demeanor type voice thing going. You you go, you got to be kidding. You've made them equal to us. To us. How how could you do how could you do this? To us. How don't don't you know who we are? We're we're the elite. 
we're, we're, we're the best. We're a cut above. They, they supposed it was supposition that came in that was shutting them down. They supposed since they had been there longer. They supposed since they had dealt with more heat. They supposed since they had expended more energy and they had used more of their time. And they, here's a good one. They supposed since they had paid more dues that they should have been treated differently and paid more. And so this is why on one level some ministers and wives are collapsing and this is why elder saints are either driving the younger ones out of the church or they're starting to act like them because of jealousy of the tension that the younger ones are receiving. Supposition. Supposition. Supposition got them. It was, it's just supposition. We've, we've worked all day. We've, we've handled the heat. We've been in this thing longer. And now, my God, I can't believe that you've given someone else a blessing. Whenever I've dealt with more sun and I've, I've carried more burden, I've done more than those people are doing. And you've got to be kidding me, you owner of this harvest. You don't understand who I am. Have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten how long I've been here? I know this is hard to take. I understand, understand it well. I was hauling hay when I was 14 years old. It was one of the worst jobs I've ever had in my entire life. And I, we got paid at the end of that day. And, I, and if somebody would have showed up an hour at the end of that day and they had handed out the same amount of money, Brother Jordan, I'd have been one tick monkey. <laughs> I guarantee it. Whenever I was 18, I was in Boonville, Arkansas, uh, working with the Longs in that school. Those were great days. And now one part of it wasn't that great. It was when I get up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and go, I was a lumper. Has anybody ever been a lumper? Do you know what a lumper is? A lumper is an idiot that gets up early, <laughs> early, early in the morning and puts on warm clothes because you're going to go to a refrigerated meat company and the trucks are going to pull up and you're going to go and you're going to knock, knock on the doors and ask the drivers, do you need a lumper? And they're going to say, yeah, or they're going to say no. And what a lumper means is, is now you're going to get up on that refrigerated thing and you're going to open up an 18-wheeler and you're going to see for as far as your eyes can see for miles and miles and miles. And there are pallets of 40 to 80 pound boxes of meat, and they're stacked all different. But in that day, the uh, forklifts couldn't come onto the trucks. And so you start with a fresh pallet, and you put that pallet down, and you take box number one, and you unload one pallet, and then the forklift picks it up, takes it away. Now you're walking just a little bit further, and you're getting every box, and you work your way all the way to the end of that 18-wheeler. And then when you're in the refrigeration and you're soaking wet and you get $40. That was what you got for a truck. Now, I can tell you this, that if somebody else would have come at the, at the end of that, that last pallet and helped me with that last pallet and we'd have walked out and that truck driver would have got out and said, oh, okay, the truck's undone, wonderful. Here you go, $40. Here you go, $40. You talking about lump. I'd have wanted to have lumped upside his head is what I'd have wanted to have done because that's, that's, just, that's just human. That's just human. It would have been hard to take. take it. Verse 13. But he answered one of them, and he said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Isn't this what you agreed to? I, I didn't trick you. I didn't do you any wrong. So take that thine is and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. You agreed to this. So now I say, didn't it mean anything to you that you were gainfully employed all day? That, that, didn't it mean anything to you that you had purpose and focus? For all this time? Doesn't it mean anything to you that you're part of the greatest thing known to man called the church? Does, doesn't it mean anything to you that you are involved in the harvest? 
And then he drops the hammer. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? And then takes it deeper. Is thine eye evil because I am good? How is it? This is what he was saying. How, how is it that my goodness is going to bring out evil in you? How, how is that? Is, is it not okay for me to do with what is mine, whatever I choose? Don't I own it? Can't, can I manage my vineyard the way I choose? Or, are you going to get up tight because I'm generous? Have I done you wrong? So this story spells out a detrimental mentality in this 11th hour church, and it's the deadly entitlement mentality. The entitlement thinking is dangerous because entitlement simply says this, by virtue of who I am or what I've done, you owe me. Entitlement demands special treatment. Instead of being grateful for ordinary good enough resources, we feel that we deserve a better lot in life. And I, I love what Jerry Dean preaches. He's, he's helped me with this. He talks about redemptive lift. And, uh, and it is true, Jerry, you are right. There is redemptive lift, and things will go better in our world, even on the financial side, as we get into God's system. I totally understand that, and I'm not just pointing this out and then come around disagreeing with it. I agree with that. I agree with that. But there is a word that it seems to be a buzzword that I'm hearing a lot that I'm having a problem with. I'm struggling with it, and so I'll just go ahead and put it out here. And that word is favor. I want the favor of God. Don't get me wrong. I believe in the favor of God. But let me just ask somebody to take a little wider lens on this favor word. Because favor is not always more and better stuff. The Bible's very, very clear. It says of Joseph, he had favor, but he was in prison when he had favor. And the favor of God was manifested to Elijah by a brook and some birds that fed him. And Paul had the favor of God as he was bobbing up and down in the sea, hanging on. Favor was a plank to him at that time. So we must be very, very careful in equating and limiting God to his favor only being nicer car, nicer clothes, nicer house, bigger church, more tithes, a bonus. Be careful. Just be careful. Entitlement says people need to make restitution for their sin against us. Entitlement says we feel a need for others to apologize for hurting us before we will get better. Entitlement says we feel an inability to feel loved if we're not front and center. Entitlement says we feel we're deprived when we're not made to feel special. Entitlement says we feel that people don't treat us with the respect we feel we deserve. And we feel that we are entitled to some things whenever entitlement gets into our minds. We're entitled to that title. We're entitled to that place in the service. We're entitled to that parking place. We're entitled to that reserved seat. We're entitled to that closeness with the pastor or the presbyter or the district superintendent or the general superintendent. And we also feel, and supposition can get us in a major way here, that we're entitled to that position. We feel that if we are ever the sectional youth uh, secretary, then one day we must be the sectional youth president. And so we feel that entitlement uh, comes into all voting processes. And if we're ever a secretary, then we automatically have to go and we have, we have to move on up. It just... It just has to happen that way. You know why people think that? They think that because of the entitlement mentality. That's why they think that. And so if we'd spend more time seeking God for what God wants, and if we'd really get apostolic and not lock him out of our business sessions on sectional levels, district levels, international levels, it'd be amazing what would happen. Now, if I made you mad, I'll go ahead and make you just a little madder at me while I'm at it. As an organization, you know what? It was God's will for Brother Haney, the assistant general superintendent, to become our general superintendent. And then, and then 
to our unbelievable am amazement, it happened that, that uh, well, obviously there were some people expecting that he would not be the next general superintendent at that conference. It sure wasn't me. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know it. I thought he'd be our next general superintendent, and we didn't know that God was about ready for him in heaven instead of here. That would have been nice to have known in that business meeting. I'd have felt a whole lot better about life that day. We just had a cloud come down and say, hey, Brother Haney, he's done. He's coming to heaven. That would have been wonderful. But, but then it was God's will for a non-assistant general superintendent to be leading us now. So there's no precedent here. There, there's, there's, there's no precedent set. And so what we've got to do is we've got to take our entitlement mentality and we've got to get it out of the apostolic realm. It's got to get out. We cannot suppose, suppose, suppose. Supposition is, is messing us up bad in this 11th hour. It's, it's, uh, it's very, very dangerous. It's dealing with it. It was the difference in Naaman being healed and Naaman uh, dying in a leper colony. That's, that's how dangerous it really is because she said, go, I know a man. I know a man that can pray for you and you'll be healed. Okay, great. He supposed how he was going to do it. I'm going to drive up my big fat chariot. That, that man's going to come out. He's going to do a hoo 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 wah on me, and the leprosy's going to be gone. And guess what? He got there. He didn't even go. He sent somebody else. He said, you go tell him to find a muddy place, and he can dip in that muddy stuff. Well, he's going to get mad. He's going to leave. Well, go die. Go die. Go on, die. Just just go on, Naaman, die. Go to a leper colony and die. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, if the Spirit, and I'm hurrying, but if the Spirit, if, if, if the scales of the Spirit would come off right now, we got lepers in here in ministry. We've already lost a finger. We've already lost two fingers. We may have lost a hand. We may be stumbling now, right now, and it has nothing to do with what God has brought into our life. But it's our supposition that is eating away at us. And we suppose this and we suppose that. And the voice of God is coming today. And the voice of God is saying, get rid of your supposition. And look to me, I am the owner. I am the owner. I am the owner. I am the owner. I am the Lord. I am the Lord of the harvest. I am the Lord of the harvest. I am, I am the Lord of the harvest. It's not about entitlement. It's about agreement. It's not about entitlement. It's about agreement. Matthew 15, she comes to Jesus, her daughter's vexed, he ignores her. Disciples say, send her away. Jesus says, I'm not send to you, sent to you. What does she do? She worships. That doesn't make much sense, does it? He says, not meat to take children's bread and give it to dogs. And so she immediately agreed, okay, then I'm a dog. What do you want me to do, Bart? <laughs> That's what she said. You said it, Jesus, I'm in agreement with it. Doesn't matter that I'm being embarrassed. It, 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 I don't care. You, I, it doesn't matter to me that you didn't do this personally in your office to where nobody else would know. It, that doesn't matter to me because there's a major need. My life's got to, got to change. I'm not supposing how you're going to speak to me. I'm not supposing how you're going to fix my daughter. I'm not supposing how the miracle comes. It's not about supposition. It's not about entitlement. It's about agreement. I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. So in the church, in the vineyard, we, we want to even out the pay for effort. We want to help God because he tends to get confused about what all we've done. And time can bring entitlement thinking. The heat of the day can bring it on.
church where it's never been before, even in the book of Acts. I want to take it beyond what was finished, written in that book. I accept that. I accept that. I accept that. I accept that. I just know this. When we first connected with God and His purpose, we couldn't do enough. I know that we were thankful He found us and we were in the vineyard. If we're not careful, the longer we're with Him, the more we'll think He owes us. And the fact is that He paid it all and He doesn't owe us anything. A lot of you are going to ask God a lot of questions in heaven, and that's fine. There's no, no problem with that, but I'll, I'll never take your spot in the why line. I'm not going to ask him why. I want to tell you something. When I stood there, Brother Lumpkin got through. Speaking in tongues and interpreting in that hallway that I had been feeling that God was calling me to preach. Oh God, I'd do anything. I didn't bargain with him. I didn't tell him what he had to do. I didn't tell him I had to have anything. I'm not mad about the long days. I'm not aggravated about the heat. I'm not ticked off about anything. I'm thrilled. Beyond words to have been raised in the vineyard. I love the vineyard. It's my life. As far as I'm concerned, Lord, the harvest, the vineyard knows what he's doing. And I'm in agreement. I was mad one day because I was cleaning the church and the, on a Sunday afternoon and the my friends were playing football, and I could hear them in front of the church, and I was inside the church cleaning it and got mad and threw the broom, threw, uh, kind of changed the sheetrock in the utility closet. <laughs> Let me just say that. <clears throat> and uh, moved something to cover, cover it up real fast. <laughs> but, uh, but Dad... Dad did know that I was upset, he, he, but he didn't know. He never knew, thank God, he never knew that I, that I did that. And, uh, but he knew I was upset, and we were standing there in uh, Fort Smith Church, north side, where Tim Sullivan pastors now. And we were standing out in that four-year area, and he said, Terry, I remember him holding out his hand. He said, Terry, he said, you know, there's always going to be a handful. He says, there's always going to be a handful. He said, bigger church, bigger handful. Smaller church, smaller handful. It's always going to be a handful. He said, you just make sure that you always stay in the handful. You just make sure you stay in the handful. As we stand together right now, it's not about the heat. It's not about the time. It's not about the burden. Is there anybody, is there anybody here that would just lift their hands and say, 
God, I am just thankful that I have been in the vineyard. I'm just, I'm just thankful to be in the vineyard. I'm just thankful to be in the vineyard. Thankful to be in the vineyard. 